This is Michael, you're listening to Models of Masters, and I'm so grateful you're here. I'm breaking down personal stories, learned wisdom, and pieces of insight I hope can help you along your journey. Head over to my website, michaelbecker.org, for much more. And with that, let's get right into the show. skills needed to be an effective real estate investor span the gamut from sales to negotiation to research and analysis to just plain being willing to get your hands dirty and get down in the trenches. That's what makes successful long-term real estate investors some of the most experienced and authentic business people. In this new digital economy that we live in, get rich quick has become all the rage. I fell into that line of thinking over the last few years, having tried a Kung and Water network marketing gig that fell flat on its face, having bought an Amazon store, the success of which hinges entirely upon my done-for-you provider and his outsourced team of VAs, and having jumped into the coaching space only to realize that scaling a coaching business was not as easy as others made it seem. With all of these online avenues, I'm totally dependent on others for things to pop. Real estate, on the other hand, is not sexy. It's slow. It's dirty in the beginning. Yet it's the most reliable vehicle for long-term wealth creation, which is why I'm in the process of slowly shifting my focus toward multifamily investing instead of these other unstable business models where I really can't afford to continue to give my time or energy, nor can I control what happens. With real estate, once you get things in place, cash flow is consistent, predictable, and guaranteed, even if slightly less per transaction than a high-ticket coaching client or Kangen machine sale. So I decided to learn from the best in the biz and reach out to my friend and local real estate investor here in the Phoenix area, Michael DeElena. With more than $250 million in real estate sold and 500 plus deals under his belt, Michael is one of Arizona's top residential real estate agents. He's also built his own agency, housed.com, where he employs a team of other agents, media specialists, and content producers who create promotional video content for their clients' listings in an innovative way that truly sets him apart in the market. Michael joined me to share how he built and scaled housed.com, plus his take on the current state of the real estate market and what kinds of opportunities he thinks that new multifamily investors like myself should be looking for. So with that being said, I'm going to jump right into the episode, guys. I hope you enjoy it. Here is Michael Delena. I met up with this guy last week. He was kind enough to give me an hour of his time and fielded my almost rapid fire questions on how he's built his own real estate empire here in the greater Phoenix market and beyond. Um, so this is just going to be a part two of that discussion that we're going to let you guys in on. Uh, we're going to get into investing strategy, but also how um, my guest today has built his company housed.com to a premier real estate promotional brand agency content studio. I'll let him share the details on that. Um, some pretty incredible stuff. And a big welcome to my guest, investor and real estate entrepreneur, Michael Delina. What is going on, my friend? What's going on, man? Happy Monday. How are yeah, you? You as well. You as well. Um, still, still basking in the glow of the vast data share that that we uh partook in the other day we met up and um this is just going to be an extension of that that conversation uh okay. all things real estate and I, I, what i would love to do for this conversation is is dig a little bit deeper into you know your background what what brought you to where you are now but then um 
<clears throat> also the genesis of, of house.com and how you built that to what it's become. So sure. just give us a quick, yeah, a quick rundown of. Yeah. Here. Uh, so I actually went to college um, for teaching, for education. Uh, didn't know I wanted to be in business, didn't know I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, while I was in college, I actually, uh, when I was bored over the summer, started a uh, my first business, which was a t-shirt company, selling like funny t-shirt sayings online. It actually did pretty well. By the time I graduated and uh, taught my first year of uh, eighth grade social studies, which was awful, by the way, um, by the end of that first year, I was making more money, you know, working an hour a day on my kind of side hustle than I was a teaching. Um, not necessarily a hard thing to do on a, a teacher's salary, but I was like, yeah, hey, let's, let's try it. I mean, I'm 22 and I've got a little side business. Let's make it my full-time thing. So I quit teaching after one year, uh, ran the t-shirt company for seven more years, ended up selling it. Um, and there, as part of the transition of selling it, uh, the, the people that bought it, uh, they paid me consistent checks over three years and then a lump sum at the end, which worked out really nice as I transitioned into real estate uh, because I had some consistent income. And then uh, three years after had kind of a good lump sum uh, to kind of tide me over. So uh, did both real estate and the t-shirt thing for about six months to a year. Um, and I've now just passed my 10th year in selling real estate. Um, we've got a team of 10, which is the house.com team. We've got a, we're basically a traditional real estate sales team that has kind of meshed up with a uh, production media side. Um, so we've got a in-house studio where we shoot content, we've got a mm -hmm. professional videographer on the team. And we've got a bunch of agents that are awesome, rock star social media agents uh, that are good at promoting themselves and the houses that they sell and just the real estate industry in general. What skills do you feel like you were able to take from those initial, you know, entrepreneurial pursuits with the teacher business? Uh, and how did they translate over into to real estate, if at all? Well, uh, at the time, I didn't think they would translate into much, to be honest. <laughs> um, but there was a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, skills that I took from the t-shirt thing. Most uh, most prominent, probably just that if I'm not working, I'm not making money. You know, when you work for yourself, everybody thinks, you know, it's great and you can make your own hours. But uh, inevitably what happens is you end up working more than you would in a nine to five. Um, and I was selling just like I was selling real estate, except in real estate, the checks were a little bit bigger. Um, so as I kind of made the transition uh, from t-shirts to uh, homes, um, I had a lot of the selling skills that I normally, you know, normally probably wouldn't have if I had not done the t-shirt thing. Um, I was used to the sales cycle and I was used to talking to a lot of people. So it translated, you know, pretty well, actually. Yeah, yeah. And it, it sounds like it was really an evolution as well. Like you mentioned, this whole process, you know, you, you've been you've been busy working on this for over 10 years. This isn't something that just happened in one month. Um, I think I mentioned to you when we met up, like I've been, I'm self-aware enough to know, like I've been stuck in, in a bit of a mental spiral of feeling pressured, like self-imposed mm -hmm. um, need to produce and uh, um, get to this final destination, which is arbitrary in the first place of, of this threshold of success that I made up. But can you talk, talk to me a little bit about just this ability to invest like not just energy, but time-wise over the long haul and to expand your time horizon, how important is that to do? Uh, it's super important. In fact, if you look at any of the great 
kind of problem solvers like Einstein, for example, he was able to attack a single problem for years. Yeah. Literally think about things, you know, he'd wake up right where he left off the day before and, and go right back into the problem. Um, I have the benefit of uh, having OCD, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder. We didn't we didn't talk about this at all the first time we chatted. Um, but kind of on a more serious note, it is and can be very debilitating. Um, I know several people that have it far worse than I do. Um, but when I was a, a young teenager, it was really bad. You know, light a lot, light switch flicking and hand washing, um, doing things in repetition. And uh, what I found in business was a, a productive outlet for that. Right. Um, you know, to to your point and your comment, like you need to have some staying power, right? Yeah. And when you're uh, when you're in any business, whether it's real estate or t-shirts or anything, you know, any more prominent than that. Um, you have to be able to attack problems um, that are constantly evolving and changing, which means you have to constantly evolve and change, but kind of keeping your um, your head in the same spot in terms of attacking the same problem as it's changing. And so o OCD and having OCD has really helped me, um, you know, it's hindered me a little bit too. I mean, because part of it is uh, anxiety, which I don't think helps anybody, um, but it's given me the... Uh, the ability to stick with a problem and stick with a goal for a long period of time and, and literally become obsessed with it. So I kind of just focus like my negative um, obsession on something positive. Right, right, right. And I know, you know, as part of your journey, you started as a real estate agent um, and kind of one thing led to another. Um, at what point did you realize that you wanted to and were able to kind of build uh, another layer, if you will, on top of the skills that you were leveraging um, as an agent and and sort of do your own thing? Yeah, so I would say um, just like anything uh, that's built or anybody who's built anything, necessity is usually the thing that, that starts it. Mm -hmm. um, what ended up happening was after my, I think probably my third year in the business, maybe fourth, um, I was getting really busy and it, and it was good. It was a good problem to have. The challenge was I wasn't spending a lot of time with my family. Um, I wasn't, uh, having any personal time and I was working 12, 14 hours a day, seven days a week. And while, uh, making good money, fantastic. But if you don't have any balance, if you don't have anything outside of work to look forward to, uh, it starts to weigh on you. So it was more out of necessity. Uh, so my first hire was Michelle, who uh, actually is still with me uh, over six years later. Uh, she started as my assistant doing paperwork, um, kind of some of the tasks that I don't want to call them busy work, but things that, you know, anybody could kind of do. You didn't necessarily need sales skills to do them. Um, right. So she kind of helped on the back end with paperwork, scheduling of things. Um, and that took about 30 or 40 percent of my work off my plate right away, which wow. was amazing. Um, and then you kind of get into the next phase, which is like, OK, now that that's done and we're even busier, what takes the most amount of time now? And, and that was marketing. So we hired a marketing coordinator. Um, and then, you know, a year or two later, it was kind of like, well, now I'm so busy showing homes that when I tracked my time for a few weeks, I was in the car or showing houses, which is a very important, very skilled job, but it's something that I could train someone to do and something that, you know, would help me get away from nights and weekends uh, of lack of control of my time. Um, so I hired a showing agent. Her name's Katie, still with the team. Um, coming on three years uh, and she shows homes for me and, and other team members. So it's all about leveraging your time. You know, where is your time best used? Um, right now on my team, I, I'm still selling real estate, but primarily I'm leading um, by bringing in leads, deal flow to the team, uh, negotiating contracts. So kind of where the, the high 
point uh, touch points are for clients and the deal points. Um, and then as the transaction goes through, if there's any issues, if there's anything that kind of takes a higher skill level to kind of negotiate, I'm the guy who does that too. So uh, just feeding the funnel and negotiating deals, pretty much all that I do these days. So when you when you first started hiring, um, where was that in a full time capacity? Were they part time? And then um, the second part of the question, um, how did you see your business change as a result of bringing on team members to help with growth and offloading certain things? Yeah. So the the first couple hires, uh, well, Michelle, who's our first hires assistant, was full time. Okay. Um, I think it was like 35, 40 hours to consider full-time. Yeah. Um, and then our second hire, uh, our marketing coordinator was part-time, then moved full-time and then moved back to part-time, kind of just fluctuated as we went. Um, you know, when you hire team members, it's interesting because if you don't hire correctly, you can get people that don't have the same vision and mission as you um, and can actually take away from your business. Um, lucky for me, my mom was very high up in HR. Um, and, and did very well and kind of taught me along the way how to hire correctly, the questions to ask, how to read people, how to make sure people are aligned with your vision and mission. And um, I I think I did a very good job hiring. And I'm not going to just take credit because it was the people that I hired did an amazing job and, and they were the people that I thought they were. Um, yeah. But I think, you know, generally speaking, everybody kind of wants to just throw out a real generic job description and find someone who kind of sort of fits. My philosophy is way different. I want to get very specific. I want to tell you exactly who I'm looking for. And then I don't want to break from that mold. So for right. example, like a, as my assistant, um, I don't want someone who wants to be a real estate agent at some point. I don't want someone who wants to be in the spotlight. I want someone who likes to be in a supportive role. I want yes. someone who, um, you know, who, who feeds off of the success of others, who is very detail oriented, who um, can work with other people's systems and perfect them instead of wanting to create their own. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's really important to to find the right person for the right role. And if you do that, like like we did, um, business continues to grow. You know, as as my time opens up, as long as I'm filling my open time with money making uh, activities instead of going home and watching Netflix, then the business is going to continue to grow. So uh, I was lucky enough to to hire the right people. Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think it's interesting. It's it's almost paradoxical about hiring like for a new a new entrepreneur, somebody who's just started off in business, like it, the inclination may be to want to bring somebody in that wants to ascend as highly as possible in the business or that wants to be doing what you're doing, who aspires to be in that leadership role. But you actually want somebody who is a specialist and who has expertise in that specific thing that you're bringing them on to do. And I think that's a, a really important nuance. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Yeah. Um, so with, with house.com, Talk to me about the moment that, or maybe it wasn't a moment, um, that that <laughs> idea came to you. What was that? So there were a few moments. Um, so then the, I guess the, the process of bringing that to fruition and sort of how it evolved over time to, like, did you know, did you know what it would be the, the moment you knew that you wanted to create it? No, no, no idea. Um, so again, the, the change in branding, which it basically was, you know, the team name before house.com was Mike Delina and team, you know, not okay. super original, uh, no good for anybody except for me. And, um, it came out of necessity, just like anything else. Um, short story short, uh, there was a chance we were going to be moving to Utah and, uh, I was not going to be here every single day, but my team was, I wasn't willing to give up my, my business here. 
Um, and so I kind of started to frame my mind around, hey, how can I not be physically in Phoenix, but still run a team in Phoenix? And I, and I quickly realized like I had to remove my name from the team. What I couldn't have happened was everybody was calling, wanting to talk to me, wanting to meet with me if I wasn't physically there maybe more than a week out of the month. Um, so that started the necessity. Now, now, we didn't end up moving to Utah, um, and that's a whole other story in itself. But uh, what it did is it started the process of thinking like that. Um, but then I also said, you know what, if we're going to change the name, it should be dual purpose. It should be able to suit multiple locations, you know, potentially Utah and Arizona, but uh, more people than just me. It needs to work uh, at a greater scale, and I need right. to remove my name from it so that team members beneath me can continue to grow. Right. Um, and so originally I didn't have the name. Um, I just had this concept that I wanted to rebrand, started to kind of uh, kick around names, um, had a really good friend um, and business colleague at the time who was kind of helping with the rebrand. And he's like, you should get just kind of like a, a really badass domain. Like it might be a little expensive, but like at least it's something that you can have that's different. Um, and I was I was searching. <laughs> it sounds so dumb. I was on Google Images searching for like house stuff. And I was like, house and home and just trying to see like what was already taken and what wasn't. And I came across a, uh, uh, a website that helps homeless people get housed. Hmm. And it was H-O-U-S-E-D. And I was like, it's got the word house in it. House. I'm like, doesn't that kind of mean like, like getting drunk though, or like getting really kind of messed up at a party? Like that's what the connotation meant to me at the time. And I was like, well, but that'd be kind of cool if we could have like a dual meaning to it. I was like, let me see if it's available. So right. I go on GoDaddy, look it up. Of course it's not. Uh, but my friend, that business guy that I mentioned, he's a, a domain broker. So he's like, let me go, let me go see if I can find it. So long story short, we came up with like three or four uh, different names. This was everybody's favorite. Ended up uh, finding the guy who owned the domain, bought the domain, and then we kind of went off to the races from there. I mean, that that was just the name, right? So like, we knew we wanted to be different. We had already kind of uh, plunged into the video space for the last two years. Uh, my videographer Justin, who's an amazing videographer by the way, um, truly just like an artist. Uh, but him and I had kind of started to to play with and then kind of perfect and then and then tweak video and what worked, what got people's attention. Um, how could we do real estate videos different? And, you know, as opposed to just like, here's the house and yes. left, here's another room pan. Like, how can we make it interesting and fun? Mm -hmm. So we'd kind of been playing with that for the last uh, two years prior to that. And I was like, look, we got this new brand, got this new name. I think this is what it is. This is what our differentiator is. So we kind of just leaned on that and, um, uh, you know, to make us truly different, opened up this studio too that uh, nobody else in town has. So you right. know, we can create some really kind of cinematic, uh, different kind of videos there. And, and that's and the story. I want people to understand also that just the nuance of sort of how you've paired essentially two different types of services into one. And real estate is interesting, um, where <clears throat> you can go a little bit more into this if, if you want to. Um, you need to maintain a tie to your brokerage for the licensing purposes in order to actually practice real estate Correct. but you have created almost like a layer on top of that where you're adding these additional uh value components for your clients where you're going above and beyond what others are doing in the in the industry yeah so every licensee anybody who has an active real estate license has to have it um their license hung at a brokerage, which basically means there's a, a parent figure entity that is legally responsible for all your contracts and kind of watches over and make sure that you're following the rules that are set between the Department of Real Estate and, and your brokerage. Um, underneath that, every agent is a, a 1099 independent contractor. 
Okay. okay. But under that umbrella, we've created house.com, which is a team. It's a group of people, um, self-run, separate entity. Um, and, and like you said, I think the, our differentiation is we charge the same as all the other top agents. We just offer a lot more value. We mm. offer video that actually brings buyers and, and the right buyers and grabs people's attention. And, you know, everybody likes looking at photos and, you know, that's usually the first thing buyers go to when they're looking at a house, but, but a video adds a whole nother element to it. You can see the flow of things. You can understand the, like what the home is really about, what it, what the highlights of it are, the location. You can go into so much more with video that you can't do with photos. And um, that's, that's the true differentiation that we offer. I also think it's important and I want you to speak to this too, you sort of fulfill a need uh, that people don't necessarily know that is there or that they need. Um, talk me talk me through, I guess, the, the sales process and how you sort of position these added marketing and promotional and content, you know, editing aspects during that process. If somebody's just, I guess somebody wouldn't come to you if they just wanted a run of the mill experience though, right? Correct. Yeah. I mean, everything we do is driven by data. You know, I'm, I'm obsessed with data and statistics, you know, so every year I look at the national association of realtors and the uh, Arizona association realtor stats, and basically they interview buyers and sellers after a transaction and say, what's important to you here? How many agents did you reach out to? How did you find the house? You know, a, just a laundry list of questions. And, and we go through that and we figure out, you know, what is useful and what isn't. Um, and what's standard and what isn't. And um, yeah, I mean, I think the goal is to always have a standout product. I mean, we don't really sell a product. We sell a product. It's kind of uh, oh. So, I mean, we're, we are a service, but we're selling, we don't own the products. We're not making the products, but we're selling a physical house. Right. Um, and so it's a little bit of both, but yeah, I mean, we're the, the whole video experience is it, it can work for both ends. I think if you're a buyer, you appreciate seeing a video of a home. If you're a seller, you get marketing that you wouldn't normally get with another brokerage or, or team. Um, and it's just, you know, a lot of these people, when we make these videos, they like them so much, they keep them as like a memory of what their house was. Um, we've even had some families get involved in their videos. So depending on what the, the client wants or doesn't want, we can kind of tweak it. Um, I've been hired just because of video, like someone saw a video of another house, like I want you to do something very similar to ours, which is always cool. Um, and those are the clients that trust you the most too and let you kind of, you know, be creative and, and go with an idea, whether it's a little unconventional or not. Um, so that's what we really like are, the, are those type of clients. And the business itself, it's very one-time transactional. I mean, somebody's only gonna list and buy a house once every decade or more. Um, yeah, statistically, it's about every five to seven years. Um, you know, you can't think about it like that. I mean, over the lifetime of people, they're going to buy and sell numerous homes and it's not necessarily about them. It's about all the people that they know that are looking for high service and, you know, most money for their house. So, um, you know, we don't really think about it transactionally. You know, I want people to be clients for life and I want to be a real estate resource for people for their entire life. So whether they are using me to sell or, you know, real estate or not, um, I want them to be able to trust me with painters and electricians and, and contractors. Uh, for as long as they're around and in Arizona. Okay, so you're you you more view the business as kind of like a one-stop shop for everything that somebody yeah. would need. Yeah, from posting to marketing to. I have a client that emailed me two hours ago uh, asking for painters to paint their house. I haven't transacted with them in probably five or six years, but that's how we stay in touch. Is I want to make sure I'm a resource for for everybody for everything real estate related. 
you got from a, yep from a uh, a monetization standpoint from a sales perspective uh are you able to you said that you your your pricing is basically very similar to what others offer you just add way more value so you're not you're not charging premiums then for the um, well, so in real estate, it's against the law to set a, a quote unquote normal commission. Mm -hmm. um, but there there are there aren't industry norms, but there are uh, segments of the real estate population that charge you know a certain amount. We are on the higher end of that amount. You know, there's some agents that will take listings for you know one percent or one and a half percent, and in my opinion, don't necessarily offer uh, a lot of value. We're we're on the higher end of percentages, but. Uh, we're in line with all the other top competitors, all the people that are delivering value. Um, but like I said, I think we just deliver something a little bit different and a little more tangible. Um, and but but we're not asking more than our, our equal valued uh, agents. If that answers your question, I know it's uh, weird without giving you like specific numbers. I but I legally I, I can't say like this is normal commission and this isn't. So I, I'm having a hard time answering that with uh, any quantifiable way. Um, I would imagine the majority of your your clientele and your target audience would be like younger buyers that actually understand the value of like marketing and video. I, I could be wrong on that, but do you, um, are you targeting like baby boomers? So, you know, house.com in this rebrand is, is new. We launched it uh, January of this year. So we're only eight months in. Um, you know, we created, it took about six months to kind of put it together and, and build everything and, and yeah. structure it. Um, so, you know, there's still 10 years previous to that of clientele base and, uh, referral partners and things like that, that honestly don't care what house.com is. They just are used to working with me or somebody else on our team. Yeah. Um, so yes, we are geared towards now we are geared towards people that understand video, understand marketing. Um, not a lot of millennials, but, but some, you know, usually people between the age of 30 and like 45. Um, but if you think about people on the sell side, the average age of someone who's selling their house is older than someone who's buying it. You have to, you have to buy a house first before you sell it. And then you have to live in that house for many years. Um, so our typical sellers like between 40 and 55 and our typical buyers between like 28 and 40. Um, so it just depends. But, you know, even my parents, my parents are in their seventies, like they, see value in video. So I don't necessarily think it's an age thing. Um, I think it's either you see value or you don't. And yeah, there certainly is value there. And statistically there is as well. Yeah, that, that's a really great point. Um, hey, this is Michael. I'm popping in for 20 seconds here to challenge you to take the next step in your growth journey. I've helped over 40 business owners amplify their operation inside of my immersive one-on-one, -on -one, which is unlike any other coaching program out there. We'll be getting hands-on, doing content planning, script writing, ads optimization, customer mapping, and a lot more. So if it makes sense to chat, the link to schedule your call is in the description. All right, back to the show. What do you see as the future of House? I mean, do you view yourself as a video production agency or do you view, your, view yourself as a real estate company? Uh, both, honestly. I mean, the, the benefit of house.com for agents, so agents that are on my team, is they can use a production studio and have social media content for free. I pay yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, you know, I pay for the studio. I pay for the videographer. I pay for for everything. Um, and, and not only are we promoting ourselves as a team, as individual agents, but also the houses. And then the beautiful thing about it is the bigger the team gets, the more um, 
the, the louder our voice is, right? Because if we have one listing from one agent, well, now we have 10 people on our team and all 10 of us are talking about it and promoting it and sending it out. So it, it really kind of grows upon itself. Um, to answer your first question though, future of house.com, I think ultimately um, when I'm ready to get done being a day-to-day -day operator, um, I'm fine operating it, you know, as not the day-to-day, -day, but I could also potentially sell it. You know, the yeah. domain name offers a lot of possibilities that uh, not having a strong brand like that does not. You know, 99 out of 100 agents, when they retire and they get out of real estate, they don't have anything to show for it. You know, no retirement plans. Uh, they, some of them sell their book of business or like, you know, continue to refer business and make some money that way. But a large majority don't don't have a plan after that. Um, and my goal ultimately, if I get out of real estate full time is to sell house.com, whether it's in its current form um, or sell it to someone who just wants the domain. It, it's a very strong standalone domain as it is. And, and honestly, I don't know if what we're doing is the best use of that domain. Um, I think it's great right now. We're obviously in the real estate industry. Uh, we deal a lot with houses. So it's great to have that in the domain. But, you know, a, a real estate tech company could you know, come swoop this domain up and, and use it on a national level or international level. And, and that's probably its best use. Um, yeah. But in the interim, you know, it, it works great for us. And um, someone wants to buy it or, or talking about it at a, at a later date, I'm open to it. So hopefully that will be my, my retirement plan. Very cool. And obviously, you know, you guys are really innovating. You're, you're doing something that's, I think is, is super cool and new and interesting um, and providing a service that, like I said, like I, I didn't know that that this, this existed until I, I met you. Um, what do you view as kind of like the future of disruption in real estate specifically? You mentioned like real estate tech companies, like I don't even know what that is. Uh, you know, Open Door, for example, is a, a big disruptor in the last five, 10 years. Um, essentially what they do is they kind of take the pain points out of the, the seller transaction, meaning no showings, uh, taking the house as is, you don't need to do repairs. They just come and offer you a cash offer. You pick the close date and they write you the check and, and you close. Uh, okay. The challenge is that these companies, well, challenge for the seller at least, is that these companies are taking your house and then putting it right back on the market to make some money. So they're they're kind of tech flippers, if you will. Hmm. Um, and, and when you do that, there has to be some money on the back end for open door. Meaning yeah. you're not going to necessarily get the best price for your house because open door has to make some money on the back end when they resell it. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying that's not a good option. In fact, I think for a lot of clients, open door may be better than selling traditionally. If, you know, getting the most money out of your house is not your end goal. Um, if you need to be out fast, if you need to not make repairs, if you're in a, a situation where you need to close in like 10 days, I honestly, I have clients for that too. I have investors that will buy your house, but um, open door can, can guarantee it and take away all those contingencies and uh and it's a good option so you know the future of real estate uh is going to be interesting you know yeah. ai uh SaaS enabled tech companies are going to change the industry they already are um you know will there be a, a regular real estate agent in 10 or 15 years i don't know i don't know yeah. to be honest my guess is probably um you know it's it's one of those industries where like it really helps to have a human being on your side guiding you directing you giving you advice, it kind of, it's, it's like a comfort thing, um, especially on the buy side. Um, yeah. But who knows, man? I mean, tech, technology is getting twice as fast every year and half as expensive, right? So, you know, who knows what's available in five years, but I think we're certainly ripe for disruption. You know, the industry has essentially been very similar 
uh, to itself and, and been the same for, you know, 40, 50, 60 years up until about five years ago. So um, a lot could change. And yeah, who knows? It takes one company with one great idea and the whole thing's, you know, goes upside down. Yeah. Zillow changed everything from a, from a real estate perspective. Yeah. That's data. You know, the, the whole play with real estate used to be, we're, we're holding all of your data in a, and house that in a box and you can't get in that box unless you use a real estate agent you can't look in there you can't see anything that's just not the case anymore right zillow no. open that wide open uh and and buyers have more data and sellers have more data now than they ever did before so it's not a data play anymore it's a it's a service it's a um additional value and how can we make things easier better faster more profitable for the client yeah. Yeah. I want to I want to switch gears just slightly okay. and you can give as much detail into this as you want. Uh, talk a little bit about your personal investing strategy um, and what your current portfolio looks like and kind of when you're um, looking to to evolve and build with that. So that's actually how I got into real estate was as an investor. Um, I went and got my MBA uh, at ASU between 2010 and 2012 uh, while I was still in the T-shirt business and um had a bunch of guys in, in my mba class that were into rental properties and so that's kind of how we started with it um and our our philosophy back then which is still pretty similar to today was to buy uh, annual rental properties so not short-term but long-term annual rental properties around asu which is the uh, second largest university in the country and our thought process was it's gonna be high turnover right every year or every other year we're gonna have different students in there uh, but it's a built-in rental base of, of people that are willing to pay more than a family would. And the reason for that is they're coming from the dorms where you're paying, you know, 1,000, 1,200 bucks a month and your parents are paying for it. And uh, they're now going to go to a house with more room and more space and a yard and only pay eight or $900 a room. So for them, it feels cheap and feels like more value, but we can rent it out more per room than we could if we were just renting the house to a family. They're not looking at it as a per room basis. So we started buying uh, four and five bedroom homes back in 2011 uh, with the purpose of renting them out by room. And uh, we did the math and we looked things up and you know what the price was and, and what it would rent for. Uh, basically, we, we were cash flowing about between $1,000 and $1,200 a month after the mortgage. So we put 20% down. The tenants were paying our mortgage. Uh, they were paying all the utilities and we were profiting you know, between $1,000 and $1,200 a month. What did, what did properties cost um, around campus back so, then? Well, the first property bought, we bought was $145,000. I actually, it was listed for one forty, and we bought it for one forty-five. dollars I thought I was overpaying at the time. This was in 2011. Uh, that house is now worth probably 300 something thousand, so almost triple. Um, the other two we bought, I think one was four fifty. dollars uh, No, excuse me, 250 dollars and then I think about three hundred. dollars um, the 451 was one I was thinking about later. But yeah, they were all under $300,000. I mean, this was back, you know, over 10 years ago when properties were just very cheap. Um, so yeah, those were all great properties. We ended up kind of uh, messing around with the Airbnbs for a little bit. We had a, an Airbnb in South Scottsdale for a couple of years. Uh, it didn't do great. The main reason was it didn't have a pool. So I highly recommend if you're going to do Airbnbs, you need access to a pool or the house itself needs to have a pool. Um, because in the summer heat here, which can be, you know, four or five months, if you don't have a pool, it's not getting rented. And so we just got hammered in the summer. Um, we've got another property that's our, our second home slash Airbnb up in uh, Sholo, which is about three hours northeast of Phoenix. Um, we use it as our second home, but we do rent it out when we're not there. Uh, that subsidizes the mortgage for that one, which is nice. 
Um, we've got another house in South Tempe that is owned by um, technically my wife and her family. Um, they've got another one in Gilbert, it's a single family home. And then we've got uh, a couple others throughout the country. Uh, one in Breckenridge, it's like a ski in, ski out. Um, and then we just sold one in uh, Naples, Florida that we, uh, her family bought, flipped, uh, rented for a couple of years and then sold. So kind of got investments throughout the country um, when you include her family stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, our, our strategy has essentially been the same though. Um, just finding good, uh, you know, good spread when it comes to the property value versus what you can rent it for. The challenge yeah. is now that's just changed, right? I mean, that same property that I bought for 250, that was a four bedroom, it's now 600,000 and rents have gone up, but they haven't gone up enough to, um, you know, bridge that gap basically. Right. Okay. So, Yeah. Um, and how much, how much capital, how much work did you put into these properties after you bought them? I know one thing it's probably a little different with Airbnb, but with, with my unit in uh, Austin, Texas, like we, we put, I think four grand at least into it. We bought a hot tub to really raise the appeal. Um, how much work did you do to your, to your uh, properties? Not much. So our strategy um, was to find something that was already done uh, at the time, you know, we were paying a premium, but, but remember those prices, I told you 145, 250, 300,000. I mean, at that point, I would have rather paid a little bit more and had it done. And and what we would do is we would even start marketing the home that last week or two while we were still in escrow. So before we okay. technically owned the house. And so we'd get all these tenants lined up to see it like the day that we owned it. Okay. Um, so, so I would say the longest we ever had to wait from the time we purchased a property and closed on it to the time we had a tenant in there was like a week. That's Most of the time they were rented within a day or two. Uh, because I had so many, you know, people lined up to see it as soon as we closed on it. Um, so, you know, we, we, if you think about it, like every time people come up to, to raise rent, like leases up, we want to raise rent. Okay. Let's say we want to raise it, um, $300 a month. Right. So that'd be an, an extra, um, 3,600 bucks a month or a year, excuse me. Um, you know, if it sits vacant for a couple months, it doesn't matter what you really raised it because you're going to lose that money, right? And usually you're not raising it that much anyway. You want to raise it 50 bucks, 100 bucks a month. It's almost, it's almost more important to get a, a tenant in there quickly than it is to raise rent. So, I mean, we, we did raise it over time slowly. Um, and then when rent really went crazy in the last couple of years, we raised a lot. Um, okay. But you don't want to raise rent in a time where you think it's going to be vacant for a month or two because you end up losing money, at least in that year. Um, that answer your question? <laughs> Uh, I forget what the question was. Yeah, I'm just learning so much. Um, yeah. Uh, so in terms of moving forward, I guess you're just looking to maintain and uh, potentially. Yeah. yeah, I think moving forward, you know, we got really heavy into real estate. Um, you know, at one point we looked at our, or just all of our investments everywhere. And we were like, you know, 85% of our assets were in real estate. And um generally a good thing long-term, but, you know, seemed a little bit risky at the time. Um, and so we started to kind of diversify, I would say probably closer to 50% of our portfolio is in real estate now, uh, much better diversified. Like I said, the, the prices now um, don't justify buying long-term rentals. I think short-term rentals, there's definitely opportunity depending on the market. It, it is very saturated. So if you're in South Scottsdale, I mean, every third home is an Airbnb right now. It's, it's kind of crazy. Um, but there are some markets where I think it makes sense, you know, so downtown Gilbert, really hot growing area, um, great place to buy a, a short term rental. 
Um, yeah. There's some areas of North Scottsdale that I think are good. There's areas downtown Phoenix I think are good. Um, so there's these pockets that are still, you know, available and not, not oversaturated. And you certainly can make a lot of money. Um, yeah. the, the properties that tend to do best for Airbnbs are, are on the higher end, uh, have a lot of wow factor. Um, you know, those, you know, I know people that are making probably revenues of two, 300,000 a year renting these high end kind of mansion homes and, you know, right. they built more Arcadia, Scottsdale area. Um, and those are, those are extremely profitable. So, but it's just something we haven't really done recently. I, I don't think we've bought, bought a property in for three or four years, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. So um, maintain the short answer. Yeah. We're, we're maintaining right now, um, you know, paying down the mortgages. So, you know, we, now that we're making a little bit more, uh, rents have gone up, we are paying off the mortgages a little quicker. So, you know, if our mortgage is 600 bucks a month and, you know, we're paying a thousand bucks a month just so that we can pay it off in, you know, 15, 16 years instead of 30. So that makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah, that makes sense. A, a bit of a tactical question in the beginning more. So how hands-on were you with, um, with tenant communication? And then I know currently you're, you have a manager, correct? Um, yeah. how are you, how are you interfacing with your property manager? Yeah. Um, so at the beginning, up until shoot, probably even just like a few years ago, I did everything. Like okay. I don't do rentals in general. You know, our, our team focuses on on sales and purchases. Um, but I would make an exception for my own property, mostly because I was cheap. <laughs> to be completely honest with you, um, you know, I didn't want to pay someone to get it rented and manage it. And I thought, you know, it's not that big of a job. It doesn't take that long. Um, but it finally got to a point a few years ago where that wasn't true anymore. I just it was just taking up too much time. It just wasn't worth my time anymore. And, you know, people would call me and say, Hey, we have this issue or that issue. And I just, I didn't want to deal with it anymore. So, um, I hired a, a great property manager local here. Um, she's amazing. Her name's Kelly. She, she covers everything for us. Um, you know, occasionally I'll get a, a text message. Hey, this issue happened to this house. Are we okay? Spending $400 to get this fixed. And I just go, yep, thumbs up. And that's the extent of my involvement at this, at this point. Um, in my opinion, well worth the money, um, especially when you have multiple properties, it's just, it gets to a point where it's just too much and, and you know, there's other things you, you need to think about. So it's not necessarily the best use of time. So um, right. yeah, that's, that's kind of been it. And then just to kind of close up here, I mean, this has been an amazing conversation. I think, uh, you know, we probably have a range of, of uh, experience and uh, different types of investors potentially listening to the program um, for somebody that's maybe just getting started like myself in the, um, in the multifamily space, like even just here locally in the Phoenix area, what are some things that you would recommend people be looking for um, or, or uh, like trends that they should be aware of when sort of getting involved? Uh, so you and I talked about this a little bit when we met in person, but um, multifamily is different from state to state, meaning, where they are, what types they are, can can drastically differ from you know one part of the country to another. So what I'm saying right now is only really uh, inclusive of the Phoenix area. But uh, for Phoenix, multifamily is interesting because there's only really like three or four cities that have a lot of multifamily. Yeah, that'd be uh, Phoenix is where most of it is. Mesa, which is the second largest city, has a lot of multifamily. And then you have some in Tempe near the campus, and then you have some in, in Scottsdale, mostly in South Scottsdale. You know, there are multifamily pretty much every city, but those are the majority of those cities. And the challenge with Phoenix in general, uh, not just multifamily, is that it's very splotchy, meaning like good areas can be right next to really bad areas. 
and you can, you can literally drive down the street from a, a mansion and half a mile later be in like a trailer park. That is not, um, you know, with very few exceptions, you know, Paradise Valley and, and parts of Scottsdale would probably be the only exception to that. And, and because of that, um, multifamily tends to not be in great areas in, uh, in the Phoenix area. It tends to be typically in lower income areas or areas that have not um, been gentrified and, and, you know, built up yet. So uh, it depends on the person's strategy, but if you're looking for a long-term multifamily property, I would say try to get in what's called like the path of progress, meaning where are those bad areas that are really close to those good areas? Hmm. And is that good area growing into the bad area? That would be in the path of progress. Um, so examples would be um, if you know the area just north of the 202 where like the 143 freeway meets the 202. Yeah. So kind of like Thomas and 44th Street area. Um, just south of Arcadia or just south of Biltmore areas. Those are great areas that I think are in the path of progress. Kind of rough now, lots of multifamily, but in 10 years, uh, you know, there's good areas basically surrounding all of it and they're all going to kind of push into where those areas are. It's, it's almost inevitable. Yeah. Um, so that's what I would consider a path of progress. And then it's also, you know, do you want to put in the work? So do you want what they call like a value add property where you know, it's basically a junker and you got to go in and, and as the units become vacant, you go in and fix them up, raise rent and then fill it, you know, slowly as the units um, become vacant. Or do you want something that's already done and already maximized out and you just want to come and manage it? It's just it's it depends on your risk profile and how much money you're looking to make and, and how much work you're willing to do. Um, you know, so for someone like me, I'm probably looking for a little less profit right away and have everything be done in the property already. And then over time, I can fix it up again as that gets dated. Whereas there's other people, they only want value adds. They want to come in and, and renovate. And, you know, it sounds like that's probably something you guys were doing in Austin. Yeah. Um, you know, adding a little bit of value there, adding the hot tub, things where like you can get a little bit more rent. Um, yeah. It just depends on personal preference and how much money you have and, and what your strategy is. Um, but multifamily, I, you know, this is going to sound like a really dumb piece of advice coming from a real estate agent or maybe really very obvious which is like find a good agent that knows the area um, that understands the nuances of each area um, and not only just in multifamily or wherever else you're looking but you know this the, the specific location and the type of real estate you're looking at because uh, condos and townhomes and scottsdale and phoenix i mean they're all very different and if you don't know someone who uh, knows the ins and outs of it they can kind of steer you wrong in terms of like getting started for someone who's who's ready to kind of jump in um like what's the first thing that they should do should they start researching on their own should they reach out to a local real estate agent should they be talking to mortgage people what like, yeah what's the i think first step uh would be talk to a real estate agent and do some research on your own i mean ideally if i have someone who wants to buy multifamily, i would love if they did a little research and could kind of at least generally identify their budget and the location they'd like to be in how many units, you know, so technically multifamily is two units and up, right? Like a duplex right. and up. I have some clients that are looking for 25 doors, right? They want like a little mini apartment complex. So that's a very different animal than a, a duplex or, or triplex. Um, so I think identifying what you want, what your goal is, what your budget is. And then from there, a real estate agent can kind of take you down the path. You know, a real estate agent will give you a good lender to talk to. Uh, will help you find a good property manager and kind of connect the dots of all these other unknowns. Um, but a good real estate agent should be a good resource for you in, in many different areas. And the good ones will take the time to explain all this stuff that I'm talking to you about and what the good areas are and what aren't and, and where they should be looking. Uh, so that'd be a good first step, I think. Very cool. Yeah. I don't think I had any uh, any other questions for you. Um, is there anything else top of mind that you wanted to get into? 
I mean, I think just generally speaking with real estate, um, you know, many people I think are really quick to jump to the first person they think of, uh, which generally isn't a bad idea because a lot of my my people think of me first and I don't want you to go outside of me to do real estate. But for the people that have like a cousin or an uncle or a friend who just got into real estate or kind of does it on the side, um, I really think you're doing yourself in, in you know a disservice. And, and um, I know those people have to get business from somewhere, but real estate, even as a full-time job is super tough. Yeah. And the failure rate for people that are doing it full-time that are professionals is still really high. Um, so the people that are kind of doing it casually on the side, just starting when they go up against agents like myself or other agents that are full-time and have been doing this for 10 years, they're just going to get crushed. They just don't know what they don't know. They don't know how to negotiate. They don't know the ins and outs of the contract. And I think, you know, yeah. for protecting or buying your largest asset of your entire life, probably um, it's worth taking the extra time to find someone and research and find someone that's good and knows what they're doing. Um, so yeah. I think if that's like my one message to people, uh, it sounds pretty basic, but um, I think it's really important. Yeah. So from an agent side, guys, either go all in or, you know, pretty much don't, don't waste your time from totally. flip side as an investor, you want to do the opposite. You want to start small. You want to get your feet wet. You want to start learning little by little. And um, that's where I'm at right now. And super grateful to uh, to Michael for all of this knowledge and help. You know. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It was fun. Yeah, man. Thank you so much. And um, oh, where can people go to learn more about you? Obviously, house.com. House.com is the best place. So um, <laughs> that's what's great about this, right? I mean, I don't have to put my phone number up here. Uh, go to house.com. You can reach out to any of our individual agents on house.com under our team page. It's got everybody's uh, individual cell phone numbers, emails, LinkedIn's, Instagram's there. Um, and then there's a general line if you just want to call and get general information about listings and things. Uh, depending on which one you call, obviously you'll get different people, but our general line usually comes to me. Um, but yeah, you can reach out at house.com and, and uh, go from there. See who you, which agent you connect with the best on there. Beautiful. Thank you so much, man. Yep. All right. Talk to you soon. Hey guys, if you found value in this episode, it would mean the world to me if you share it with a friend and on social media and be sure to tag me so that I can repost and please rate and review as everything helps so that I can get this knowledge to as many people as humanly possible. All right. I'll see you in the next episode. That's it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. My book, Content Capitalist, is on sale now. Grab your copy by visiting my website or tapping the link in the episode description. I also just released the online learning portal, which expands on what I share in the book. This includes four hours of edited, captioned video tutorials and trainings, plus dozens of downloadables and templates. Between the book and the e-academy, you're going to be equipped to literally blow your revenue targets out of the water and eviscerate your competition this year, all by putting content at the core. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate, review, comment, and share all the things and hit me up on LinkedIn if you'd like to connect. I am here to serve you and that's it. I will see you in the next episode.